0: Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. My name is Casey Howard, and I am an educator based out of Berks County, Pennsylvania. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Camilla Hughes to our podcast today. Dr. Hughes is an assistant professor of reproductive biology in the Department of Animal Science here at Penn State University. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Hughes.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. So to get started, can you
0: please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your research interests?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, my name is Camilla Hughes, um, and I'm assistant, I am an assistant professor of reproductive biology here at Penn State in the Department of Animal Science. Um, to tell you a little bit about my background, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, and I was in 4-H as a kid, mostly into horses and chickens, and then I went to Virginia Tech for undergrad. During that time, I got involved in undergrad research in reproductive biology, and I really fell in love with physiology and with animal science research at that time. Um, In this field, we're able to make scientific discoveries about how organs and systems work, and then those discoveries can be applied to directly help producers. I then decided to go on and get a Ph.D., and I came up here to Penn State in 2014 to start a Ph.D. in dairy cow reproduction, with a focus on the ovary and really on understanding ovarian hormone production. At that time, I didn't have too much dairy experience uh, before starting my Ph.D., but during my Ph.D., I definitely fell in love with the dairy cow. And something that got me really excited about studying dairy cattle is the fact that dairy cow ovaries make really great models for human ovaries. Um, So dairy cows have a similar length of estrus cycle to the human menstrual cycle, and their cycles also have a lot of um, similar characteristics in terms of the types of structures that might be on the ovaries. And so what this means is that we can study the ovary in cattle and we can make discoveries that will not only have a positive impact on dairy and beef production, but will also help human infertility. And so I got really excited about being able to use that model in my research and really help the biomedical field and agricultural field at the same time. Awesome. After, after my PhD, I went up north to Montreal, Canada, and did a postdoc there. And there I worked on early development of the ovary. I got really interested in how early developmental events that occur in the ovary before the individual is even born can affect lifetime fertility. I started this job at Penn State in July, so I'm a little bit more than six months in, really just getting started. My appointment is 25% teaching and 75% research, which means that I'm involved in teaching two courses this spring. Um I'm teaching half of the physiology of animal reproduction class, and then I'm teaching the reproduction part of the dairy management class to undergrad students. And so I'm having fun doing that. And then the majority of my time is spent on my research program. In my research program, which I think we're going to talk a lot more about, uh, my main goal is to improve fertility in dairy cattle and develop technologies to regulate or support fertility in humans through an improved understanding of mechanisms that regulate ovarian development and ovarian physiology.
0: Awesome. Um, So... Looking at some of your research, it looks like you do a lot with the corpus luteum. So can you explain to us what that is and why it's important to learn more about that in cattle reproduction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the corpus luteum is essential for successful pregnancy. I'll tell you that first. And that's why it's so important for us to study it and really understand it. I'll describe just a little bit about what it is. So if you think about the ovary, When the egg is growing on the ovary and it's getting ready to ovulate, it's surrounded by cells that are very closely associated with it. They support it and they help it grow. Then that egg ovulates and those cells, the other cells that were helping the egg, they stay on the ovary and they develop into the corpus luteum. So this means that every time an animal ovulates, a new corpus luteum is formed. The corpus luteum is yellow which is where its name comes from. Corpus luteum means yellow body in Latin. Um, And in the cow, the corpus luteum is about the size of a ping pong ball, just so you can picture it. And the corpus luteum only has one job and that is to make the hormone progesterone. So why do we care about progesterone? Well, progesterone is important because it is the hormone that maintains pregnancy in all mammals. With no CL and no progesterone, a cow won't be able to maintain her pregnancy and she won't be able to have a calf. If a cow ovulates but does not get bred or doesn't become pregnant, the CL still forms but it will regress and die and stop making progesterone after only about 18 days. Um, This allows the cow to come back into heat and then she has another chance to become pregnant. In pregnant cows, the embryo itself signals to the uterus and to the CL to prevent death of the CL and this maintains progesterone and maintains the pregnancy. So where do reproductive problems come in? Well, sometimes it may be that a cow would ovulate and become pregnant, but despite this, her CL regresses and dies inappropriately, even though there's a viable pregnancy. Um, Maybe because the embryonic signal was not adequate, or maybe because it was not correctly interpreted by the uterus or by the CL. Um, And so this means that in some cases, a cow might lose her pregnancy and then would have to be rebred. Thinking about the corpus luteum, there's recent research from UW-Madison that suggests that about half of pregnancy loss in dairy cows comes from death of the embryo. So the embryo wasn't good enough. But the other half of pregnancy loss in dairy cows comes from inappropriate regression of the CL. So you actually had a great embryo. That embryo could have been viable, Mm -hmm. but it was lost because the CL regressed. And so what this means is that developing technology to support function of the CL could actually improve pregnancy rates on dairy farms and reduce embryonic loss.
0: That's very interesting. So while you're doing this research focusing on the process behind a cow being able to get pregnant and maintain her pregnancy, I wondered if you noticed any differences between younger first calf heifers and our older cows on their second, third, or maybe later lactations.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, So I specifically don't work on differences between primiparous and multiparous animals. Um, I saw that you were going to ask me this, and so I did a little bit of reading, and there does not seem to be strong evidence for big differences in fertility or in ovarian function between a first calf heifer and a multiparous animal. Um, the studies that do show differences, they aren't huge differences. So uh-huh. when we're thinking about fertility in cows probably parity is not the most important determinant of fertility. There are probably other management factors that are really the more important factors. Um, Of course, with that said, it is very well known that heifers are much easier to get pregnant than lactating cows, right? Uh, So that's a different kind of question. And, And we do know that it's a lot easier to get heifers pregnant. There are lots of reasons that it's easier to get heifers pregnant, including their age, their metabolic status, their overall health. They aren't go- undergoing the physiological stress of lactation, um, and they're much less likely to have health conditions that could negatively impact reproduction, um, as cows cows are much likelier to have various health conditions that could make it harder to get them pregnant. Um, and there is some research going on here at Penn State, not in my lab, but in Dr. Troy Ott's lab, Um to look at some of those differences between heifers and cows. And in particular, Dr. Ott is interested in some sort of immunological differences between heifers and cows and how that might affect their reproduction. And so it's possible that that'll be on a future episode of Bovine Banter, right?
0: Yeah, you never know. (laughs) Um, So one of those factors... could be nutrition as well. Um, And I saw that you were involved in some research looking at selenium supplementation and its effects on the corpus luteum. Um, Can you just talk a little bit more about that as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that paper was part of a collaboration that I was involved in several years ago. And the lead researchers in that project were Dr. Philip Bridges and Dr. Sarah Carr, and they're at University of Kentucky. And so I just want to let listeners know that in case they are interested in this, um, that research group has actually done quite a bit of work about selenium and reproduction. Uh, So that would be where to look if you're really interested in selenium and reproduction. But to summarize the work that I was part of, basically in regions with selenium deficient soils, um, which are mainly southern regions in the United States, producers have to supplement this mineral in the diet of forage grazing cattle. Commercial selenium supplements are typically formulated using inorganic forms of selenium, uh, but the organic forms are those naturally available in forages. So we have two different kinds of selenium. Um, So this research found that circulating concentrations of progesterone in the blood are affected by the form of selenium that's supplemented, and cows that receive a mix of the two kinds, the organic and the inorganic, have maximal progesterone concentrations. So the part of this work that I was really involved in, we were working to identify cellular mechanisms in the corpus luteum that were affected in the cows that received the selenium mix. And what we discovered is that the cows that received the selenium mix had CL that were better able to take up the building blocks for progesterone production. So the CL has to take up building blocks for steroidogenesis or progesterone production from the blood. And when cows got the selenium mix, they were better able to do this. Um, So the big picture takeaway from this study is that something as simple as a nutritional supplement can potentially really directly change the function of the ovary. And that it's important as we're doing this kind of research to think about how nutrition and reproduction interact.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Have you maybe encountered anything unexpected in your current research? Or can you tell us um, about some questions that you're looking to answer with your future research projects?
1: Yeah, so I'll answer these two parts separately. Uh, So I'll tell a little story about an unexpected finding uh, first, um, and then I'll tell you about future experiments. So in the research that I did at University of Montreal, we were using mice as a model. And what we were doing is in mice, you can make genetic mutations. And then you can identify functions of individual genes that might affect particular factors. And we were interested in the very early development of the ovary, which really sets the stage for lifetime fertility. Um, and we were using mice because it's easy to make genetic mutations. That's why we were using mice. So in one of these mutant mice, this this was a mutant mouse with a mutation in the, in a gene called SF1. We were not really expecting to find a whole lot. This, this wasn't the major part of the project. But when I started looking at the ovaries of these mice, we found that the ovaries were just absolutely tiny. They were about three or four times smaller than a normal mouse ovary. And a normal mouse ovary is already pretty darn small. Sure. <laughs> um, so what we figured out is that these ovaries, basically after they formed, they were totally failing to grow. We did more experiments, and we found that the mutant mice had many fewer eggs in the ovary, and some of these eggs or oocytes were dying as the ovary was developing, and the cells that support the eggs, so I I talked about those a little bit, those are cells of the follicle, they were also totally dysfunctional. So, So these mice really had very dysfunctional ovaries. Essentially, by making these mutant mice and then investigating them, we identified a brand new gene that we now know regulates the total number of eggs in the ovary and is a very likely determinant of reproductive lifespan and of fertility. Um, We did some more experiments looking at the expression of this gene, SF1, in ovaries from other species, and we found that in very diverse species, we have similar expression of SF1, including rabbits, opossums, chickens, and humans. And so what this probably means is that the function of this gene is probably evolutionarily conserved. Um, And so it's probably also important in cattle. Okay. Um, and so understanding that this gene is an important determinant of the total number of eggs in the ovary could allow us to develop technology to optimize this total number of eggs in the ovary in cows, potentially to optimize reproductive lifespan and keep cows in the herd longer. Um, and, and thinking about humans, it can also help us potentially to develop technologies to support reproduction in aging humans. Okay. Have you looked at cows and identified that gene in cows yet? Or So, so far, no. Um, okay. But in my lab, I will. Okay. I, that's one of the things that we're interested in looking at in my lab. Um, okay. We're interested, we're interested in seeing if this same gene seems to be an important regulator in cows. Okay. Very cool. All right. I have a couple exciting projects going on in the lab right now. And I have I can give you three quick summaries of projects, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. So so one project is really focused on early development of the corpus luteum. So to, to describe this project, producers will know that we can use lute or we can use another similar type of prostaglandin, we can administer it to the cow, and we can cause the CL to regress. And that's very commonly used mm-hmm. in estrus sync protocols. Well so very interestingly we see this phenomenon where the early CL before about day 4 of the estrous cycle right as it, the CL is developing it is insensitive to death caused by this luteolysis it won't regress it continues producing progesterone and then later in the cycle it acquires sensitivity to luteolysis and it will regress And so what my current master's student is investigating is understanding differences between the CL that regress in in response to lute or to prostaglandin and the CL that don't regress in response to prostaglandin. And what we're hoping this comparison will help us to do is to find the mechanisms that make the CL resistant. So the actions of prostaglandin and make it resistant to regression. And this might help us to develop technologies to protect the CL from regression in early pregnancy in cases of luteal inadequacy. Okay. So it
0: would be like a potential farm application down the road.
1: Yeah, totally. So so really a lot Mm -hmm. of my work is creating the foundations for the farm applications. and, and so that's why it's so important that we have extension folks, we have applied research folks, and that we really work together on collaborative projects to develop the ways to, to apply these things on the farm. Um, so a second exciting project that we have going in the lab that, that we're really just getting going is to investigate the very early stages of the development of the ovary in cows. And the ovary really develops in cows and also in humans entirely during fetal development, so before birth. And all of the eggs that are ever going to be in the ovary for lifetime fertility are there before the individual is born. Um, So we're working on some projects understanding how that ovary develops and potentially thinking about effects on the pregnant female that could affect how the ovary develops um, and what affects lifetime fertility in those heifers. So that's a sort of a broad, very broad introduction to a second project that we have going. Um, and then a third project that I'm working on relates to what causes follicles, which is how we refer to eggs and the cells that support them, what causes follicles to begin to grow in the ovary. So most of the follicles in the ovary at any given time are not growing. They're just sitting there and we refer to them as being completely quiescent. Um And only a few at a time will begin to grow. And it's important that only a few at a time begin to grow because we want to have one that's ready to ovulate at a time, right? We Mm -hmm. don't want the cow to ovulate two or three. That would be a problem. And we also don't want her to completely run out of eggs and then not have any available to ovulate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, So it's important to understand what makes these follicles begin to grow. But we don't really know why some start to grow and some don't start to grow at any given time and so in this project we're interested in what is regulating the follicles which ones start to grow and which ones don't Uh, we've identified some novel cellular mechanisms that regulate this process Um, and really this project is important when we're thinking about fertility in dairy cows because it's essential for a cow that she have a uh, one high quality mature follicle at the time that we want to breed her. Mm -hmm. And understanding what makes those follicles start to grow will help us to understand what causes her to have this high quality mature follicle at the time we want to breed her.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, but for our dairy producers who may be listening, how could they potentially apply your findings to their farm? Are there any management practices that they should consider changing when it comes to reproduction and breeding?
1: Yeah, really great question. So we know that reproductive problems in dairy cattle remain the number one reason for involuntary culling on dairy farms. And that's a number from 2022. Even though... Quite a bit of progress has been made in terms of reproductive management strategies, um, particularly with the development of estrus synchronization protocols. Um, We still see that reproduction is the number one reason for involuntary culling. And so I just want to bring that up because this really highlights the importance of continuing to develop ways to improve reproductive function in dairy cattle. Um, So I already talked about the importance of understanding the CL for improving reproductive function and pregnancy rates. Um, and then we've talked somewhat about ovarian development, but I, I'll just talk a little bit about ovarian development because I think this is an exciting area where there might be some real applications. So I'm interested in understanding ovarian development. And um, so the ovary develops while well, the heifer is still in utero in her mom. Um, and so what this means is that all the eggs for lifetime fertility in that heifer really have developed by the time that she's born. Um very importantly this pool of eggs is non-renewing so that means that it's depleted over time and in, and eventually it might be completely used up and in people it gets completely used up and that's why people undergo menopause okay. um so the number and quality of eggs in the ov- the number and quality of these eggs and the cells in the ovary that support them is a key determinant of reproductive lifespan basically in cattle there's evidence that Cows with an optimal number of eggs in their ovaries have improved pregnancy rates and are likelier to stay in the herd longer. Um, So it's really important to understand how this number of eggs, this ovarian reserve of oocytes is determined. Um, Since the ovary develops during fetal life, this means that there could be effects on the pregnant cow that affect the development of the ovary and the fertility of that heifer once she's born, grows up, and joins the milking herd. So this kind of research is in early stages, but something I'm beginning to work on in my lab. And ultimately, these kinds of studies could result in strategies for better managing pregnant cows to optimize fertility of their heifer calves. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, So in terms of thinking about suggestions for management... I don't want to suggest specific management practices across the board, and this is really for two reasons. One is because making changes to reproductive management is going to be really specific to each farm. Um, so everybody is going to have different reproductive management goals. Everybody's going to have different preg rates. Um, their preg rates are going to be looking different, even different times of year, perhaps. Um, and they're going to have different specific goals. And so really, individual producers need to... Be, the, the, my recommendations would be very different depending on the individual producer and what their goals would be. So I don't want to make any sort of broad recommendations. Um, the other reason I don't want to suggest changes really based on my own research is because at the stage that my research is at, I'm really figuring out mechanisms. I'm understanding how the ovary works. And then my research will be applied to develop management strategies. But at the current stage, we're just creating foundations, we really need to understand systems before developing management strategies. Um, And I'll add that I think it's really essential to make these foundational discoveries so that we can use these to develop these research based management strategies that are absolutely essential to improve efficiency and productivity on farms. Yeah,
0: yeah, thank you for that. Um, So for fun. Tell us what you enjoy most about being a researcher, and why do you do what you do?
1: Yeah, what a fun question. So I would really say that there are three things that keep me wanting to come to work. Um, So the first one is that I really love that in scientific research, we get to make new discoveries. I think it's really exciting that there are things that we still don't know about reproductive function and about the ovary, and that me and my lab, we could be the first to discover something brand new about the ovary. And I, I just... That's why I fell in love with research. Um, The second reason that I really like being a researcher that I'm really discovering as I'm starting this job is that it's really fun to get to work with students. Um, In my job, I work with and mentor masters and PhD students. And I teach undergrads in the classroom, and it's really rewarding and fun to work with students and to help them to develop the skills that they need to succeed and to have a positive impact in the ag industry and particularly in the dairy industry. Do you have a favorite class that you teach? Currently, I'm teaching physiology of reproduction, and I'm really having a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, Really, really fun to get to teach students about one of my favorite areas of science. Awesome. Um, and then I'll say the third thing is, of course, that I get to make discoveries that could be applied to help producers, help them save money, improve efficiency, and improve sustainability on their dairy farms. And that's really, really rewarding to me as well to think that my research could have impact on the dairy industry. Yeah, awesome.
0: And uh, so to finish up, uh, do you have any um, takeaways or any fun facts about the ovary that you would like to leave Um As a message for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so I don't have a takeaway, but I will tell you my favorite fun fact about the ovary, which I sort of alluded to earlier. Um, So the ovary develops while the fetus is still in utero. And so what this means, for example, is that my mom's egg that made me first developed in my grandma's uterus, which means that a part of me grew inside of my grandma in the 1950s, more than 30 years before I was born. And this is true for all of us. And it's also true for cows. And so for cows, it means that something that happens to the cow during her pregnancy could affect the fertility of her daughters. Um, But for us, I just think it's really cool to think about how we are connected to our parents and our grandparents in that way.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. And then I think it's also, I mean, it brings out really the importance of what you do today is going to affect your cows, you know, two generations down the road.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Hughes, for taking the time to talk with us today. uh, And thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions regarding today's episode, please email me at kzm175 at psu.edu. And don't forget to tune in for the next episode of the Bovine Banter podcast, which should be airing next week. Thank you.